Welcome to Real Indigenous. I'm Noetta Harjo and with me are Angela and Sunrise. And this week we are talking about AMC's Dark Winds. Season two premieres on AMC Plus on Thursday, July 27th and on AMC on July 30th. And uh, with the new season coming up, we kind of wanted to look back at season one. So um, starting with a brief summary and then we'll go in to talk about some uh, initial thoughts of season two, episode one. So what do you guys remember about season one? It's kind of vague, except for I remember the cave. I'm glad you do. I don't remember the cave. There's the cave. <laughs> There's, don't they end up in it? Um, like, I think my my initial the problem blind? with it was the kind of the um, mystic native thing with the old lady who was murdered and the young girl that was murdered. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there was all this superstition surrounding that, and da, da 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 da. And then you know, you have to remind yourself that a non-Navajo wrote this. Yes, the series is based on Tony Tony, is that right? Tony Hillerman's yeah. Uh, yeah. series, Leap Porn and Cheese series. Um, Joe Lee Porn is played by Zon McLaren. Jim Cheap is played by Kyle Gordon. Um, from when I've been rewatching the season one, it basically centers around a money heist that nobody knows who did it, but um, the money le- trail leads them to the Navajo reservation where a murder occurs. So um, there's basically two investigations going on and somehow, some way um, it also, there's a kidnapping involved, a kidnapping of a, of a, Mormon family. <laughs> so now there's three um, cases that they have to solve, all centered, all on the Navajo Reservation, all in Joe Leaporn's jurisdiction. And uh, it basically comes down to a couple of rogue Navajo tribal members who call themselves the Buffalo Society. And they are trying, they stole the money so that they can try to buy the land uh, that what is his name um oh what is his what was his name he is a rich white guy basically this and is it. This he vines, is it do what is this vines yes vines thank you uh vines owns uh basically and there is also it involves a uh explosion at one of the mines on the reservation that killed six Navajo men, including Joe Leaporn's son. So it, it there's I feel like there was just like a lot going on with all of these different stories, but it all came together at the end, um, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> um, there's a helicopter. Yeah, the, yeah. The helicopter yeah. was the, the helicopter getaway vehicle. In the water. Uh-huh. In the water. Yeah. And the water was poisoned with the, with the, the fuel. Um, yeah, the fuel, and that's how they led them to his the, name the, was um, Benjamin. His father Benjamin was his assumed name. And, oh, that's right. Because uh, I knew there was a priest in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and he was posing as a priest. <laughs> this this sounds like it's all over the place, but it really does all come together at the end. Um, the priest. And was hiding out with his friend Frank, played by Eugene Brave Rock. 
who one of them fathered the baby of Sally Growing Thunder, played by Elva Guerrera. And okay, Elva Guerrera, Kawhi, Kyle Gordon, Don McLaren, Jessica Matten plays Bernadette Manolito, and Deanna Allison plays Emmeline Corn. They are the main cats. Those are the five main cats. Everybody else just kind of came in here and there. Anyway, Sally's mother was a witch. And she's the one who basically killed the young girl at the beginning of the movie and the old man at the beginning of the series. But she worked with um, Father Benjamin and Frank to cover up their crimes. And anybody who knew about it was either severely injured or they were killed throughout the series. Um, But eventually Lee Porn and she figured out that you know, Father Benjamin had the, the money and in the FBI, uh, which Jim Chi was undercover, he's an undercover FBI agent. The FBI were trying to get involved to uh, bring them in for the money heist, but uh, Lee Porn wanted to bring them in for the murder. It just kind of was all kind of messy there in the middle. Uh, and eventually uh, they ended up having to kill them both because there was shootouts. They were in the, they were in the cave. They still, they kidnapped a Mormon family who had the painting with all of their money in it. And well, so, there were, there was um, more than one painting of the, cactus. yeah. The, cactus the money was in painting. the back of the painting. Mm-hmm. And then Rain Wilson was in there for some reason. He was helping laundering the money. He was like the mayor. His, uh, he was a car, car dealership. Yeah, yeah. He was a car salesman. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was kind of all a big mess, but um it ended with uh Father Benjamin and Frank getting killed. Uh Sally's mother was killed also. Uh, and then Sally, who was pregnant, I believe she was pregnant with Benjamin's kid. I can't remember if it was Frank or Benjamin. And went to stay with Joe and Emma and uh, Bernadette and there was a thing going on between Bernadette Manolito and Jim Chi and she got mad at him when she found out he was FBI. But the FBI agent, uh, Whiteover, is that his name? Uh, played by Noah Emmerich. He, he was in on the heist. He wanted the money. So, uh, he ended up being a crooked agent. And so they exposed him and then Jim Chi left. He left the reservation and just kind of, the, the crime was solved and everybody went on their way. So, but the well, explosion in the mine. Sort of. I mean. Sort of, yeah. He disappeared. There was like a lot of things you, when you watched it, you went, huh? What happened mm-hmm. to this person or where did this person go? Or when when did that person show up and why? And which you can tell by my recap, it's chaotic. There, yeah. There's there's stuff missing. Yeah, yeah there's stuff right. missing. So, uh, but that's the gist of what happened. But the thing that they never really, I mean, they they, they touched on it was the, the explosion at the mine. Um, because uh, one of the guys who survived, I, his daughter was dating Joe's son. And she's the one who got murdered at the beginning of the season. And so there was a lot of family drama between those two families. Um, let's see. They never really developed. Like there was a thing between uh, Jim Chi and Bernadette, but they never really developed it. They 
touched very lightly on Jim Chi's family, who he was actually from the reservation, but he moved when he was really little. He remembered yeah, where his home was, urban. and he remembers he remembers bits and pieces. Yeah, so. he's an urban urban Indian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I liked about the series was when they did the um, the coming of age ceremony for the young lady. I don't know what that's called, and I don't want to butcher it, but. Um, you know, they kind of showed a little bit about the cultural side of the Navajo life on Navajo reservation. And, and, you know, um, they didn't really explain why things were the way they were, but I really liked that they kind of showed it, that it was just a very normal thing. It was just, you know, a ceremony or a, a celebration for this young lady. And, you know, they didn't really explain a whole lot that I liked it because I always feel like we have to explain what we're doing and why and, these you know recent string of television shows featuring native content we don't explain it just happens so and i love that so it looks like the directors and the writers are very varied across season one um of course the showrunner chris Ayer did a lot of the heavy lifting Writers right. include Erica Tremblay, Billy Luther, Rizal Benali, who I believe wrote that one with the coming of age, um, but directed by someone else. Um, Sanford Bookstaver, who I don't believe is indigenous. And the first season was shot, you know, during COVID. So I'm sure they were doing. A lot with a little. This season, I think they were able to shoot the way they wanted to shoot. I think after watching the first episode, this one seems smoother. This, So hopefully that's a portent of things to come. Is, you know, we, we catch back up with everybody after all of the events in the in the mines of course we still don't know who set off the bomb Mm -hmm. that killed joe's joe and emma's son that was never resolved all we know is that there was a bit of a supernatural um i guess flair to the show with not only the witch and her causing the deaths at the beginning of the season but also there was a scene in season one where the the men were in a sweat and one of them comes out and tells uh, one of the guys stay home and spend it with your family and then that explosion happens the next day so um i'm i don't know how supernatural the books are but um and i say supernatural it's just i i it's not really like you know ghosts and goblins and uh, things it's really just the belief it's, i guess the spirituality in a way of how things occurred for season one but they definitely lessened that for season two so i'm actually i was actually kind of happy about that because it was getting yeah, a little too. getting a little too a little too woo woo yeah oh one thing we haven't brought up is the forced sterilization that was introduced oh. in season one oh, right yeah and how so many native women 
And even to this day, still in Canada, they're still sterilizing really? indigenous women like without their knowledge. So that's cool. Not. <laughs> and then just to remind everybody that this uh, the series takes place in the 1970s. But even so, that wasn't that long ago. Um, you know, we were all alive. We were, I was alive. Yeah. I was yeah. alive when this was going on. So it's, it's just one of those things that a lot of people think that native history was a long time ago. Nope. It was 40, 50, 60 years ago. So that's not that long ago. It could have been your mom. It could have happened to your, your mom. It could. Yeah. It really could have happened to my mom. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it could happen to, it still can happen in Cannonville. Like you just said, there's a lot of things that are still happening that people don't realize you know, when it comes to Native people, because they don't know about it, and they don't want to know about it. So, Yeah, that's listing off all of the things at work, you know, sharing, educating, going in there. The people I were telling, I was telling, they just kind of looked at me, and I said, you know, the more I sit here and think about it, it's a miracle that we're here. We are miracles. So I'm curious what you feel like in line with this idea of things being more supernatural in season one versus season two, what else do you think has improved? Cause it feels like that's something that they've talked about is trying to improve their um, approach and maybe even not just like the way that things are told, but the way that they're interacting with the community or who's in the writer's room. I'm curious how you see improvements from season one. I feel like they've kind of settled down a little bit. They don't feel like they're having to throw everything into an episode. All the action, all the heartbreak, all the mystery, all the mysticism, you know, it doesn't all have to be just like crammed jammed into one episode. They seem to be a little more relaxed with their pacing and storytelling. And it, it's it's more clear, if that makes sense. Yeah, they definitely stay focused on Leap Horn and Chi and kind of what's going on with them. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, Bernadette too, because she is a main part of the story. Um, and just how... It's not so much outside action. It, it it really is more from the perspective of the lead cast this this time around. Whereas before, I felt like there was a lot more, um, you know, storyline coming from the villains, coming from uh, people who we only see one episode and then they're gone. So it, it was definitely more focused on the main cast and their perspective, which is good because then we're not all over the place and chaotic like we were in season one. I feel like this one is definitely a lot more personal for Joe Leaphorn season two. It's a lot more personal for him and uh, pushes him in his, uh, I guess what he would consider his boundaries or his, you know, what he, what's right and wrong in his, his world, his world, basically his personal world. And then uh, it also kind of pushes, uh, Emma a little bit too. Um, oh, very much so. She really has yeah, to struggle with what with the sterilization about telling the story, mm-hmm. what to do about it, how to help. 
Yeah, and I like that they've kind of elevated her character too, um, just because she does come from the medical side of things and, and there was a lot going on back then. Um, and she's just trying to do her best to help her community uh, from away from the crime, away from what Joe's doing, uh, you know, not just being Joe's by Joe's side, you know, uh, coming into her own character. And I really like that they were able to elevate that a little bit more. I did find it interesting that the sheriff, A. Martinez, is, you know, very Hispanic. And the interaction between the sheriff's department and the Navajo police, I thought it was funny at times. It was interesting at times. It kind of helped address the the pan-brown people trope Mm -hmm. in showing different approaches to different things, different beliefs different standards mm-hmm. of how they do things, how they do the job, what revenge looks like, what justice looks like. It was kind of fun. Yeah, but... It's kind yeah, of funny. This, this first season or this first episode, it they throw in a hefty dose of noir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I noticed that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was really neat. I, I like that. There's, so they definitely have the woman in distress. They're going after the Maltese Falcon, which is a box. Um, nobody really knows what's in the box, what it does. But that's that's the job. That's what he's been hired to do. And then we have this fun stoner dude who shows up and talks about aliens. So that was fun. And so, I mean, I guess this is the year that there's a lunar landing. And the astronauts are driving a car around the moon because everybody is like amazed. They all want to watch it. Of course, this is back when you had three channels and a little tiny TV that was black and white. And everybody had to gather together to watch it at somebody's house that got good reception. There was also an eclipse uh, in, in, in Navajo co- culture you're not supposed to be outside during eclipse and that was really interesting that they they put that in the script as well so at some point jim and joe run into each other and start talking about their cases and realize that they're looking for the same stuff and so they end up on this butte is it a butte and they're digging through stuff that had been burned and that's when dun 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 we've seen joe's son's belt buckle that he won in the rodeo. So now it's becoming personal. And then just as they're doing that, here comes the bad guy. And he shoots Jim Chi in his shiny polyester suit. I would like to give a big shout out to wardrobe department for finding those suits and those glasses, those sunglasses. <laughs> Those are so fun. My dad yeah. had those suits. Denchi <laughs> looks pretty sharp. <laughs> and gets endless shit about it from everybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it's just a more relaxed, less frenetic season so far. And it- the thing that, um, when I watched episode one, 
you know, I, it, it goes right into the story. Like there's really no, I guess because in the season one, you, I'm sorry, season, yeah, season one, uh, you know, you had to introduce the characters, who they were, how they were connected, you know, and what their purpose was. And in season two, it just jumps right into it. And I was like, oh, wait, we're not mis- wasting any time, and, you know, figuring out what's going on. And uh, that was one other thing I really liked about it because, I mean, there really is, Jim Chi has this thing, Lee Porn has this thing, and like you said, they they are connected, so they link up. And um, which it took a long time in season one for them to link all of the events that were going on together. So, um, you know, it, it, it happens pretty quickly. And, and I like that. It, um, it gives everybody, you know, a chance to focus on one thing and then remember the details about that as they try to figure it out themselves. The cold open lasts long. And I don't know if it's because it's the first episode of the second season but that one kind of went on for a minute and then you know flashback to six days ago so we now i guess we now know that everything's going to happen within a week there were a lot of flashbacks in this season and then the guy that shot up spoiler alert stuff (laughs) 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 he was introduced in an odd way i mean not not Mm -hmm. odd as in filmmaking but you just the way it's very mysterious you're like who is this guy he's he's a little odd mm-hmm. what's he his was deal? very odd um new to the season is uh jerry ryan from star trek fame and, oh, yeah. and a martinez of course who we mentioned uh nicholas logan plays colton wolf and one of the bad guys. Uh, Joseph Running Fox plays Henry Leaphorn, Joe's father, which that's an interesting uh, dynamic as well. Um, there, there's a lot more of, of the native language, the Diné language being spoken to this season, which was yeah, nice to hear. So. Yeah. Did Billy oh. Luther write this first episode? Well, now you're going to get me lying to you. Okay, this is written by John Worth and Rihanna Yazi. The first one is. <laughs> so Rihanna Yazi is primarily known as a playwright and a and an actor and a director for stage. And she actually just crafted her free, first feature debut as a writer director star called The Winter Love. Um, and so um, she's written material before but often not for screen so she's young as a, a screenwriter or a teleplay writer um, but that's her essentially like first film I, um, I'm not sure if that's uh, secured a distributor yet at Winter Love um, it's been playing in festivals like it, I think it opened in the Phoenix Film Festival last year in March and then, you know, we played it here at the rodeo last November. Um, so this is sort of like a a really um, valuable honor, I think, for uh, such a young writer with Navajo background to open a series. You know, so I feel like that's a really um, prominent place to be. And um, a really kind of giving 
opportunity for the showrunners. And uh, the fact that there is the inclusion of the language uh, pretty upfront, I think, says something to the attempt for the show to improve. Because I know that there was a lot of criticism, it seemed like. Um, seems specific to the Navajo Nation, but just in general, that there could have been more inclusion of language. Um, since it seems like it was hinted at in the first season, and especially since there's this question of like, the quote unquote traditional and local versus like maybe the non-traditional or the one that's like returning, you know, I feel like language is a key component to communicating that conflict and difference. So the fact it's more prominent here, I think it like speaks to those attempts and then the the changes in the um the writer's room. Uh, but but you know, Rihanna Yazi, a new writer and a fresh voice. Now, Which, you know, by comparison to the other shows, I guess, you know, like, that's really interesting, the fact that they are. Are there a lot you know, of Diné filmmaker, writer, filmmakers? Or is this also kind of like the Muskogee Creeks where everybody's, they you know, getting their foot in the door and starting to work their way up? That's a good question. I mean, we have um, Nanaba Becker also is shadowing Chris Eyre. This season, so Nanaba Becker, uh, a, a good background in terms of shorts. She's Navajo filmmaker, has a lot of shorts, um, has not yet made a feature debut yet, um, and shadowing. So there's another example of someone who's essentially young in this medium. I don't think that she's ever directed a television episode. I don't think she's ever written a television episode, um, but training. So it seems like they're kind of prepping, perhaps, for the future. Um. Billy Luther, who is probably a a more prominent Navajo director, has had a couple features at this point. Made his first yeah. fiction feature debut at South by Southwest this year, Fried Veg Facing Me. Mm -hmm. Obviously, writing and directing involved, um, but also maybe some of his first television. I think, especially maybe some of his first fiction. You know, so people really. Um, developing their craft on this series very much like Reservation Dogs. Um, so I'm sure that's coming from the area of the showrunners. What is com conspicuous to me, though, is that it's interesting that there's not that many returning writers, including Rizal, who is, you know, has Navajo background, um, or er Erica Tremblay, not returning. Um, she obviously is not Navajo um, and then obviously has had her own series of changes and developments with her feature film. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe just in terms of the timing, it makes sense. And maybe it's because they needed someone to help guide the series and then find the, you know, the voices that are more aligned with the, the cultural backgrounds. Um, and I, but I just think that's an interesting circumstance where, in most of these other series, Reservation Dogs, uh, now at three seasons, um, or Rutherford Falls, who had multiple seasons, that there were returning writers and returning directors. And this is the first time where we're kind of seeing uh, a departure from that, from a native showrunner. And I'm just curious, you know, what that means. But 
you know, that's also, I think, the first um, primetime fiction series to be written by Steve Judd, co-written by Steve Judd. So that's also maybe somewhat something that's something partially new, right? He's written shorts before. He's written for children's series, but nothing for primetime or adult-oriented, mature audience content. So also maybe like an emerging writer in those areas. So it's it's inter- it's interesting. I'll, I'll be curious to see how that plays out for a third season if that happens. Yeah, I wonder if there will be a third season. It seems very popular. Dark Winds does. How are you gauging that popularity? Is it like postings or like you know, yeah, social media? Everybody, oh, I love this show. It's so great, and you know, it already has the source material that has a big fan base, and everybody knows Zon are all big fans of his. So it kind of has that built-in audience of aunties and uncles, maybe kind of the Taylor Sheridan audience. It appeals to that same mystery. It's funny that it's on Acorn to me, just because, you know, Acorn is full of different countries, mysteries like South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, they have all of these type little shows that are mysteries that, and and I guess Dark Winds falls into that category. So that'll, I mean, if it's on Acorn, I'm guessing that it's going to open it up to an international audience. Right. Yeah. That's really incredible. Um, and you're, you're, you're all the things you're talking about, like that are the changes from season one to season two, the noir elements obviously are trying to attract those audiences. So it seems like there's some smart show running. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like those are completely in line with what I remember of the books. Now, mm-hmm. It's been like 20 years since I've read any of these books, since like the first version of like the PBS series when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember like more of this like supernatural elements, but more of like the procedure and more of like the detective work um, that all lend itself to noir um and um yeah it's it seems like you're picking that up and i would imagine that's probably also going to happen with like true detective season three when that comes out Mm -hmm. um and it felt like that it feels like that's a wise thing for like a non-indigenous audience that's like something they can grasp easily is the genre but you know as soon as we step into genre then of course we're going to kind of lean into tropes and i'm curious how the rest of the season is going to play out in relation to tropes because like a noir genre or a procedural needs them and maybe that international audience needs them um and i in that way i'm kind of expecting the season to play out a little bit maybe like alaska daily where there's certain like conflicts that you know maybe push our issues to the side for the sake of like a narrative structure or you know an exaggeration of like motivations or an antagonist or maybe an exoticizing the way that noir would do that of different cultures well they they are the people of darkness mm-hmm. so there is the co-opting of a lot of practices by non-native people that come into play but they don't dwell on it a lot i mean it's not like indiana jones Mm -hmm. and the temple of doom level (laughs) (laughs) 
close, but not quite. <laughs> and there's also, like with the press, you know, that their interest in exposing, you know, the, um, the atrocities of living on a reservation, you know, they want to make it, I guess, worse than it actually is, but they also want to do it from a, a white standing perspective and not an indigenous perspective. And that plays a tiny bit, tiny, tiny bit into the season. But I, I don't really think of any, when I think of tropes, I don't really recognize any when it comes to how people have always stereotyped us, maybe how people stereotype those interested in native culture mm-hmm. more so. I do love the fact that now we have like these different series that are really clarifying for like a general audience, like the difference between these tribal backgrounds Four, maybe five shows that include Yellowstone um, or 1923 because like people are starting to hopefully piece together that oh these people are different than these people <laughs> yeah and that i think is a, a amazing thing just overall that is incredible we just needed to continue yeah i think so this a- is more procedural you know the more i think mm-hmm. about it there's yeah. way more it sticks pretty much to the formulaic police procedural slash noir tale just because of the big bad which that's going to be interesting to see where that goes if he falls into a tropey mm-hmm. his his issue i mean his issues seem to be with his family mm-hmm. from you know dealing with the the pi that he hired so yeah i'm kind of yeah i think that's going to be cool i will say the it's it wasn't shot very imaginatively or is that am i using the wrong adjective (laughs) it was it's very straight shot it's you know two shot wide shot over the shoulder you know boop 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 boop, boop, in the car drone shot establishing i mean there's you know it's kind of like what i remember doing in school they don't do day for night so there's that <laughs> sure yeah which which is also stuff that they uh did on the first one i think but mm-hmm. you know what you're describing also pretty safe in the way that it would cover things pretty like wide wide shots you know mm-hmm. farther distance very limited and it's like shot reverse shot or camera movement there, i think there are more interiors in this one just because it's post-covid Mm-hmm. so they had a little more leeway with interior locations there's still a lot of action people getting shot getting blown up that kind of stuff yeah there's some good chases yeah i mean it's this is one of those things i feel like people have to see to really appreciate it i mean i would give it an enthusiastic thumb up for the first episode i think it's very promising mm-hmm. After all the confusion, yeah. After all the confusion at the end of of season one, I feel like this has gotten a better grasp of where they want to go, more focused, more engaging. So yeah, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. I highly encourage everybody to tune in. So it's not just one thumb up. It's not like there was one thumb up. It sounds like there might be two thumbs up. I'm gonna <laughs> hold off on that second thumb. <laughs> 
till we see the rest of it. But it's an enthusiastic single thumb for the first episode. What about you, Noetta? Definitely thumbs up. Um, again, it's just sharper. Not so much chaos going on. Uh, perspective is very focused on the main characters and um, their stories and how it, they interconnect with each other. Uh, it, it's it's it kept me on my it kept me on the edge of my seat. I will say that. Um, and I'm I'm really interested to see kind of what happens, what the outcome is, because it is a very personal story. It seems like this time around. And, you know, when personal stories get involved, when, when emotions get involved, uh, it makes characters do things that you probably wouldn't expect them to do. So we just, just have to wait and see if that happens. Well, I mean, that's the ultimate thumbs up. I want to see what happens yeah. next. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be another reassessment once you see the whole season. Yes. I'm excited about to talk about it for sure. You know what? It's probably already seen it all. Maybe. <laughs> I won't say much more than that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that'll wrap up our look at season one recap and episode one of season two of Dark Winds on AMC Plus, AMC, and Acorn. So I would. I can't wait. I'm excited. And so thanks for tuning in. We look forward to discussing this further with you. And we will be here same indigenous time, same indigenous channel. Find us on social. What's our what's our social thing, Noetta? Real Indigenous on Facebook, at Real Indigenous on Twitter, and at Real Indigenous Pod on Instagram. And remember, if you want to do any memes for the getting prey to win an Emmy, post them on our wall and we'll share them. And remember, don't just keep it real. Keep it it real real indigenous. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so much better when there's fewer of us. (laughs) One day. One day. (laughs) 